Customer experience is just a series of little things. It's an endless series because you're always going to find more improvements. But just get started. Start fixing things. Every decision we make, we make through the lens of the customer. And that's when this thing really starts to take off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the CVO Live. I'm here with Dan. Hello, Dan. Uh, let me tell our audience a, a few words about yourself. Dan Jinjiski is a customer experience expert, keynote speaker, and author. He has a background in marketing and customer experience roles at various companies, including McDonald's, Humana, and Discover. Gingis, you are particularly known for, uh, for your book, Winning at Social Customer Care, and uh, also the experience maker, how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. And I can't wait to making this episode happen together. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Super. So I will, uh, I will start by, by asking you, why does it matter? So Dan, why does it matter customer experience in today's economy? It's a great question. And uh, the answer is actually pretty straightforward. In almost every industry, competing on price has become a loser's game. It's a race to the bottom, literally. If I keep bringing my price down and you keep bringing your price down, it's a race to the bottom. So it's a very difficult way to compete. It's also become very, very difficult to compete on product or service because almost everything is commoditized. And, and People are copying each other, and even some of the most innovative companies in the world now have competitors that kind of look just like them, and it's very difficult to tell their services apart. So if we can't compete on price and we can't compete on product or service, the only thing left is experience. And the yep. best thing about customer experience is that it is generally delivered by your employees as well as your technology. And so because nobody else has your employees, it is by definition, something that can be unique about your business. No one can copy your experience exactly. And so to me, it is really the last true differentiator. All right. So now it's uh, it's clear that you're you're a big advocate on the touch point, right? So whilst we, we have here uh, all sorts of guests at the CVO Live, we are about customer lifetime value and optimizing uh, the business for it. Uh, we are hearing a lot of voices around the technology and uh, clustering the customers, focusing and offering uh, better customer experience to the best ones. Where do you stand around, around this technique? You know, it's a really interesting uh, dilemma. And I'll give you an example from when I worked at McDonald's. So I worked in the social media area of McDonald's. And typically in social media departments, what we look at is people that have large followings on social media, because that must mean that they have influence, right? And people who have influence are the people that we want to be the nicest to because we want them to talk about us. But what I found when I dug a little bit deeper is that influencers were not necessarily our best customers. Our best customers at McDonald's are people that, believe it or not, come into the restaurant five plus times a week. And they may not have any social media following or they might have, you know, a hundred followers. And so the reason I share this is because oftentimes we get blind to who is actually our best customer. 
I would rather have somebody buy from me once a month, but tell all his or her friends about me, than have somebody buy me buy from me five times a month and tell nobody about me. That first person's actually going to be more valuable, even. But but if all you do is look at sales revenue, you're going to think that second customer is more valuable. So to kind of get around your question, I do believe that we should value all customers. That every one of our customers is helping us keep the lights on, is helping pay our salaries. You know, there's no reason why any company should not want to talk to one of their customers if the customer wants to talk to them. That all said, it's totally fine to have things like loyalty programs that reward customers for spending more with you and give them additional benefits. Yeah. So what what I'm hearing then is that we can't afford to be selective. But what would happen from a CFO perspective, right? If you if you over deliver, where do you draw the line? Actually, if you over deliver in terms of customer experience to all of your customers, maybe you can't afford it. So where where do you draw the line, or how to draw the line? Sure. So if you look at most companies and you look at the amount of money that they spend on sales and marketing, and you compare that to the amount of money they spend on their existing customers. It's absolutely laughable. It's multiple, multiple times difference. We're spending so much money trying to acquire new customers, but we're not spending hardly anything to keep the ones that we have. So actually, from a CFO perspective, this is potentially a way to save money. And I always talk about how the beauty about customer experience, if you're talking to a CFO or a CEO, you know, they want to hear about the numbers. And the beauty of customer experience is that it helps you on both sides of the profit equation. It helps you with revenue because when you do customer experience right, you get more customers who spend more and stay longer and tell their friends. Those are all revenue drivers. But also when you do customer experience right, you save money because you don't have to spend as much money on customer service, for example. Customer service, after all, is only needed when the customer experience is bad or when or when it's broken. We also don't have to spend as much money on sales and marketing because our existing customers are staying longer with us and we've got that loyalty. And so our lifetime value goes up. Plus, and this is really the part where I lean into because I was a marketer for so long, is when we teach our customers to talk positively about us, to tell other people about us, whether it's friends, family, colleagues, social media followers, whatever, they help us grow with more customers in a way that is way cheaper than having to do traditional sales or marketing tactics. I uh, I, I don't want to be the devil's advocate for uh, for for sure. I mean, we're on the same page. Basically, I'm about to launch my book around lifetime value and the fact that it's all about focusing on. Uh, let's say, customer experience and retaining customer rather than acquiring customers that never come back. Uh, what I want to ask you, because we're basically I'm I'm obsessed about these things because anyways, we have a saying here in Bucharest in Romania that uh, uh, you always attract people like you. you know, it's, a, it, it's a more, it, it's not to, to share it to the public, like to translate it into English, but the, the, the ones that are like, we are, we are attracted to each other. So basically I'm on the same page, but uh, and I've made some experiments, but what I'm hearing for from CFOs because we have our technology to measure, track customer experience by employee, by role, by uh, channel, and so on. What I'm hearing is that, and what if the customer experience is not fantastic? This is not people will continue to buy. How can you demonstrate that if NPS goes down, lifetime value goes down? 
Correct. How can you demonstrate that connection? Yeah, that's, that what that's what asking? I'm hearing from the CFOs. So what, I'm, what I think I'm hearing you say is that if, if we don't have a good customer experience, we can continue to get lots of customers and continue to grow even without it. Is, yes, that, what, is or, that what CFOs are saying? Yeah, or they are not so pissed off. They are not pissed off enough. I don't know. Let's say an NPS of 45, it's good enough. It's like it's positive. I mean, they, they, or they look at these benchmarks, which are, I, I found it pretty stupid. I mean, the, if uh, your industry average of NPS is 30 because you are in telecom, why shouldn't you have 60 or 70? Why shouldn't, shouldn't you go up? You know I mean? Why sure. should you set the, the baseline so low? But what I'm hearing is that, can you demonstrate that increasing the NPS by one, two, three, four, five points has a direct uh, impact in our bottom line? Yeah, and that is exactly what we have to do because again, a CFO probably doesn't care about NPS. It's a it's yeah. not a metric that they learned in business school or finance class or what have you, right? So the, it doesn't mean anything by itself. Um, but absolutely, we can tie um, NPS to spend because happier customers are generally going to spend more with us. We can tie it to loyalty. So by looking at how long they are a customer with us, which of course leads right into your long-term value equation. Uh, and we can tie it therefore then, you know, with, with some math, we can tie it to long-term value. So I have not seen a situation in which NPS is going down and we continue to have more loyal customers. Um, that doesn't seem to be a common occurrence. What I will say is that NPS by itself is not gonna prove anything. Because NPS is simply telling you how you're doing at a moment in time. It's not telling you yep. why, and it's not telling you what's going to happen next. And so when we lean too hard on only CX metrics and we don't tie them back to financial metrics, that's when we lose the CFO. And so I believe there absolutely is a direct tie, and I've seen it in lots of different industries. Um, I worked for a credit card company in the U.S. called Discover that is one of the smallest credit card companies. You know, you compare it to, to other issuers like Citibank and American Express and, and et cetera that are way, way, way bigger. But Discover actually had the best loyalty of any of the credit card companies. Our customers stayed longer. I think it was like an average of 13 or 14 years than any other company. And that is a great metric to track because if you're doing a good job and following your book and learning how to track long-term value, you know that if I can get a customer to stay an extra year, two years, three years, that is huge value. And so, and I can tell you that Discover was also a leader in customer satisfaction and in customer experience. That's the thing they decided to compete on because they were so small. There was no way we were going to compete on interest rates. There was no way we were going to compete on rewards because the other companies were just too big. They could spend more money. So we decided to compete on service and experience. And as a result, you see things like um, loyalty or tenure, which absolutely, once you, you know, once you know the lifetime value or the value of every year that a customer is a, is a client of yours, you can calculate that down to dollars and cents. And that's what the CFO wants to see makes total sense then and uh, i uh, i had an image you know while you were while you were speaking about uh, different uh, different companies greeting their uh, their first time customers and company a has the customer for 13 14 years while company b has it for 
uh, has the, the customer for only one, two or three years. So this is pure math. And uh, uh, I want to touch into the fact that in your uh, in your book, you touch the, the idea of data-driven customer, customer experience. Uh, as a way to make better decisions at, uh, and understand customer behavior. Uh, basically, we are getting here into, into the, let's say, into the territory of uh, forecasting and predictive, uh, predictive measurement. Tell us a bit about how can you be, how can you generate a better customer experience through this uh, data-driven approach? So I like to look at two different pieces. Uh, you're probably very familiar with voice of the customer um, because it's a, it's a pretty common theme within customer experience. And even within voice of the customer, there's a quantitative aspect and a qualitative aspect. We've, we've discussed a little bit of the quantitative aspect with, um, with NPS. The qualitative aspect is equally important. These are, the, these are the words that your customers are using to describe their experience with you. And if we're not paying attention to those words, um, reading them is fine. Even better is actually hearing them. One of the best things I ever did at, at all the companies I worked for is go into the call center and sit with an agent and listen to customers. Because when you listen to their actual voices, you don't just hear the words, you hear the emotions, you hear how angry they are, frustrated they are. Um, you hear stories about um, you know, how long they've been on hold or other types of frustrations. So that's one piece of the, of the puzzle is we've got this data around the scores that we get for, for voice of the customer combined with the qualitative. On the other side, I like to look at something called AOC. If, if voice of the customer is VOC, what AOC is, is actions of the customer. And this is also things that we can track and look at numerically. So an action of the customer might be how long they spend on your website, how many pages they visit, how many clicks it takes to get to their ultimate destination, um, how often they open your mobile app. We were able to make direct comparisons between people who were logging into the mobile app multiple times a month and to how much they were spending on the credit card. It was not exactly linear, but it was absolutely a direct correlation. The more people were engaged in the app, the more they spent on their card. And so We've got to look at these actions of the customers because if we're only looking at the voice of the customer, sometimes, and I think Steve Jobs was famous for saying this, sometimes customers don't know what they want and so they don't know how to ask for it. And frankly, even if you ask them, hey, would you like red, yellow, or blue? They may tell you blue and then go buy red, right? I mean, just because they tell you they want blue doesn't mean that's the choice they ultimately make. So we have to follow their actions as well and track them in order to make those decisions. When you look at VOC and AOC together, you have this full 360 degree picture of a, of a customer. And then you can gra grab your super smart analytics team and start making these connections between, oh, if this happens and this happens, or if they say this and they do this, then it leads to more sales or it leads to more loyalty or et cetera. Dan, I, I totally... I'm totally with you, and I love the fact that you've uh, you've mentioned this uh, audio uh, as being better than reading the, the the words of your customers. In a previous life, when I I ran my own e-commerce company, we were basically the 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 main player in uh, online car insurance, and we we've got the MTPL where it's like mandatory, and we also had the the, the other insurance, the casco, the premium. 
And uh, our customer, at some point, we've got 14 uh, girls in our uh, uh, customer uh, uh, service department to customer support. And we've let, we've picked a, a company to train them and whatever. And at some point, I got into into the, this, uh, this room and I was hearing them uh, speaking. And uh, basically, when I, I, I noticed that there was a huge gap between what the customer's tone of voice was and our girls, which were very cheerful. So basically, it, they, they associated our product with the tax. It's like the government is, is calling you and say, hello, Mr. X, your insurance uh, is uh, expiring and you need to pay again for something that you don't want. And basically, it was a huge gap. And we've seen that they were always uh, disappointed. And what I uh, what we decided is to change the attitude of the, the caller. So they start... Hello, Mr. X. We know that this is a, a bummer. It's not a great news. However, we have a great news. We've just found the best insurance for you, the best price, blah, blah, blah. And that, that increased our, our NPS instantly. You know, it, it was like having the empathy and meeting the customer where he is from an emotionalist point of view. Absolutely. You know, I used to, that's a great story. And I used to tell my team, both at the credit card company, and I, I worked for insurance as well, except it was health insurance. I used to tell them, nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to talk to their credit card company or their insurance company. Nobody, right? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, I'm going to call my insurance company. That ought to be fun. And so if we can start with that understanding, and that involves some empathy, it involves us being honest with we're in an industry that people kind of love to hate. And, you know, it's a necessary yeah. industry, but it is what it is. But that helps to frame then how we react to them, right? And so in a digital space, which is where I spent most of my time, to me, the idea was, how do I get them off the website as fast as possible? Because I know they don't want to be here. No one wants to come to their credit card website or their insurance website and look up something, their benefits or their transactions. They just want to find what they're looking for and then go on about their day. But what you find in those industries is a ton of companies that are throwing up pop-up ads and cross-sells and upsells and trying to get the customer to spend more time there. And I always thought that was completely backwards. That's why I taught my team, we just have to understand and empathize with people that they want to just move on with their day. And I think you did the same thing with the call center, which is to say, look, you know, if people are calling, it's probably not for a good, happy reason. And so we at least have to tone it down a little bit. Otherwise, we sound like we're tone deaf. We sound like we're not listening because I've got an angry yeah. customer and a super happy agent. And those are incongruent. Yeah. And uh, then I, I want to touch on something regarding the employees and the training your employees. You you are mentioning uh, something in your, your books that caught my attention, which is that uh, the employees being the first in line of the customer interaction, they should be empowered to create wow moments. And uh, what you're suggesting is to invest into tools and training to help them excel at these customer interactions as they are the last in line, let's say. They are they are the actual emotional touch point between the company and the leadership that makes the, all these strategies and numbers and the actual customers which are uh, paying their bonuses and their trips to Miami or whatever. So tell me about the wow moments and tell me how you how can you empower your, your employees? Sure. So we're talking about basically two sides of the same coin, which is customer experience and employee experience. 
Ed, let me give an example to people who are watching or listening that aren't working in a call center. You've probably had a job at some point in your life that you really liked. And when people asked you about your job, your face lit up and you told them about this great company that you were working for, or you were doing some really innovative stuff and you know you were really enjoying yourself. You've also probably had a job in your career that you didn't like so much. And people ask you about that and you kind of slunch down and you're like, oh, work sucks. I don't like going into work, right? And so you're projecting out to people either, you know, one of two different versions of this company, right? And after all, you're a representative of that company. Now bring it into the call center where you're talking to customers every day. And what I always like to say is it's very easy to ask agents to create a great experience for customers. But if, if our agents don't know what a great experience looks like, and if they're not experiencing it at work, if they hate their job, there's no way they're going to provide a great experience for customers. So that's why these are two sides of the same coin. And the more that we help to elevate our employees, empower them, give them a great place to work where they're happy and fulfilled and well-paid and satisfied, then they can turn around and do that for customers. There's a stat in my book that says that two-thirds of consumers cannot remember the last time that any brand exceeded their expectations, which is both a very scary stat and a very opportunistic one, because I always say, hey, we can be that brand then, right? If, if no one else is doing it, let's step into that void. But we have to remember that if two-thirds of consumers can't remember the last time a brand exceeded their expectation, that means that two-thirds of our employees can't remember either, because they are consumers. So I always go in with the assumption that my employees don't know what a great experience looks like, because on average, two-thirds of them don't. Two-thirds of them can't tell you any brand that they love or that has really treated them above and beyond. So we can't go ask them to then do that for our customers until we show them what that looks like and more importantly, get them to feel what it feels like. Then we can say, you know that feeling you're feeling right now where you're really happy and proud and you just sat up straighter in your seat and you put a smile on your face? That's exactly the reaction we're trying to get from our customers. When you make that connection and you invest in your employees, they can have a better shot at creating a good experience for your customers. I I can't argue with uh, uh, with that for sure, Dan. As we are basically, we've uh, we've just uh, just we we have like nine months since we've launched our our solution to track. Uh, NPS by employee, and uh, we we've got a great response from from our customers, omnichannel retailers, which are tracking the NPS by employee, and that that could uh, could see also the feedback uh, by who who do they have in front of their customers, and I think uh, not only the NPS but the actual uh, words, because also with with the, the the latest thing which we are doing, which is to uh, to, to leverage the natural language processing, you know, for, for companies that have thousands of responses and they can't process them like, like this, you know, you can't, uh, you can't look for patterns manually. It's a, it's a very tedious work. So for, for those companies, it's also amazing to see the recurring themes by the store or by location or by employee, you know, if you have enough, enough data to crunch, that's, that's also an, uh, an amazing thing. To, to do what's your what's your stance by the way in into leveraging NLP AI into uh, crunching the data the the uh, 
uh, and the feedback from customers? Yeah, first of all, I'll just say I, I will I will make a bet that if you connect the the NPS by employee to employee satisfaction, you're going to see a direct connection, right? Your your, yeah. cust your employees that love working for you are going to end up having better NPS scores with the customers, almost guaranteed, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying before. They paid for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I am all for AI, uh, machine learning, natural language processing. Um, I mean, it's here, it's here to stay. Um, it's not, you know, there's, there's no sense in trying to push against it. But I do think that it has to be used in the right ways. Uh, yeah. I believe that we are still a very long way off from consumers not wanting to talk to humans yeah. when they have a problem, right? And so, uh, and, and look, I say that and today's consumer, especially younger consumers, very much want to self-serve. So there's a difference, right? I want to self-serve. So please let me at least have a pretty good chance of going to your website or your mobile app and getting the answer to my question. But if I have to call you, I want to speak to a human, right? And what happened, if we go back to early days, say, of, of chatbots, we all know uh, the IVR on the phone, which is, uh, which is that press one if you'd like this, press two if you'd like that. You know, yeah. I, I do this in audiences sometimes when I, when I do big speeches. You know, raise your hand if you really like going through the IVR, right? Nobody does. But then when we started with chatbots, we basically just created digital IVRs. The, the chatbots spit out, well, what would you like to do? You can do this, this, or this. Oh, my choice is not on there. What do I do now? Well, sorry, I can only do this, this, and this, right? And the only difference is you can't press zero to get to the operator. And so my belief is that AI... Uh, and machine learning for what you're talking about, crunching data. Oh my gosh, it is, it is un, it's a game changer because, you know, uh, just as another example um, at McDonald's, McDonald's got, when I was there, which was now uh, a number of years ago, McDonald's was getting 1 million social media mentions every day. You think I could track all of that? I mean, it was impossible. You can't track a million mentions. And so this is the beauty of what, of what, you know, all this technology can do. What we have to be careful with is not to try to immediately think, oh, I can use this to fire my entire customer service team and we'll just have the customers talk to the computer. That's a <laughs> terrible idea as, as some of the early chatbot adopters learned, right? Because they tried to do that. They tried to just say, well, we'll just let the chatbot solve it. Well, guess what? The chatbot can solve some problems, but it can't solve all problems. I think what where the balance is going to end up is that we're going to use AI and machine learning for what you said, which is data crunching. We're also gonna use it to help agents be better agents. So if you imagine a customer service agent, and I always just imagine it sitting next to this giant computer, right? I, I kind of think of, um, uh, you know what IBM Watson is? It's the, it yep. was like one of the very first super powered computers yep. that went on Jeopardy and it beat all the humans, right? And so yep. I imagine this customer service agent sitting next to Watson. And that gives the agent a lot of confidence because after all, you're sitting next to a computer that knows the answer to every question ever asked. Okay, great. Now I feel pretty confident about my job. At least I know I'm going to be able to answer the question, whatever it is. And I don't have to have three screens in front of me and post-it notes and scripts that I have to copy and paste and all of this stuff that we make agents do or that they do because you know they find these hacks. Instead, now all the agent has to do is be human which is the thing the computer can't do. It's the thing that we humans are the best at, is being human. 
And so the now the agent's job becomes talking with the customer, empathizing with the customer, assisting them, but not having to know the answer to all the problems because we got the computer right next to us that can do that. And so I think down the road, we're going to start to see far more empowered agents because they've got all the tool, actually the tool sitting next to them that gives them all of that confidence so that it isn't, I mean, we've all been on calls where, you know, we ask a question and then we hear clack, 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 it's a typing, you know, and it's like, come on, just give me the answer already. That all goes away because the computer knows the answer and it spits it right out. And now this agent can just be a better human. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I have uh, I have a question which is uh, regarding the proactivity. So, how can you turn this type of feedback into real real time response? Do you think it's uh, it, it's crucial? It's mandatory because I'm coming from the back on back in the days where I don't know JFK, Nielsen, whatever they were doing this type of NPS studies every three months, every six months, and you. You, when I was looking through this feedback, I was, oh my God, who's this customer? I want to call this guy. <laughs> this guy I want right? to say I'm sorry. And yeah. I couldn't do anything, you know. It's always very, very, uh, it has this huge delay. And uh, I'm a strong advocate of uh, doing this type of real-time responses. Uh, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, 100%. And the, the more real-time you can be, the better. Uh, because, you know, when somebody has an issue, when, when something breaks in your customer experience, that moment is a moment of truth because what happens next is going to determine whether that customer stays with you or leaves. And if they have a good service experience, they're actually more likely to stay. And I have a theory about this. It, it's because insurance is a perfect example of this, is that really what we want as consumers is we want the companies that we pay money to to have our backs. We want them to be there for us when we need yeah. them. And insurance yeah. is the perfect example, right? You pay, you pay, you pay, you pay, you pay. And then when you have a claim, that's the moment of truth. Is the insurance company going to be there when I need them? But this is true in other businesses as well. And when we saw this in COVID, right, we saw which companies were there for us when it felt like the world was coming to an end and which companies were completely lost and really had no idea. And that's yeah. why we saw so much brand shifting uh, after, during and after COVID is that people, is customers had this realization of, oh, this company doesn't know what it's doing or this company's not there for me when I really need them. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. And so that real-time feedback is really critical. And you can do this on the phone, certainly, by, by uh, you know, one of the things uh, I always recommend is that um, is that you have a group, preferably of executives, but really any level, that routinely listen to calls in a group. And so you listen to calls and then you comment on two things. You comment on the agent's performance and you also comment on why did this person call us in the first place? Because remember, they only called because something went wrong. And so if we can answer that question, we can go fix the underlying problem and prevent other people from calling. And that becomes this sort of virtuous circle that you can continue doing where you're continuing to improve the things that are causing people to call, right? And now you're, you're fixing up a lot of the pain points that you put in front of customers. You can also do this even easier on, in a digital landscape. Um, you know, there are services out there that allow you to 
um, you know, put a, a little widget on every page of your website so that customers can proactively just click a little icon and leave feedback. Well, make sure that somebody's reading that feedback and doing something with that feedback. And especially if you've got, you know, some AI to help you with that, you can have the AI sound the alarm saying, look, you know, 100 people today just left feedback on this page. Something's wrong with it. Something's broken. Let's go fix it. And let's go fix it now. Not in a, in a hundred days when you know uh, when then a uh, hundred times a hundred ten thousand more people will have complained. Let's fix it right now. Uh, and so I definitely agree with you that the the, the faster we can do things and and the more real time we can make it, the better it's going to be for everybody. So uh, then I uh, I have a, let's say a, a question which is mostly related to to uh, what's the future how how do you foresee the future i mean let's let's get the time machine like uh, it was that uh, that movie back in back to the future mm -hmm. so let's pretend it's 2030 and we are looking back and we are saying to our older selves you know what this happened so what what happened how, how do you see customer experience going further how do you see customer journeys happening how do you see companies interacting with with their customers well first of all if you want to feel old in Back to the Future, they went forward to 2015. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that sure felt like a long time back then. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think, you know, I think we've touched a little bit on it. Um, I do think that, that, you know, companies are going to continue to learn how to use AI the right way. And, and that includes generative AI and things like ChatGPT that have become so popular. Uh, we're going to learn how to use it the right way in service of the customer. Um, I think we're going to see way more empowered agents. And my hope is that the way that, that companies can save money with customer service is not to replace customer service agents with computers, but it is to remove enough pain points and improve the experience well enough that we don't need as much customer service. I mean, if you could tell an airline today, hey, what if we went from a million calls a day to half a million calls a day? Do you know how much money that would save them? And the answer is make a better experience. Make it so that people don't have to call you. You know, the airline that I use every day, or, or not every day, but I do travel a lot for, for speeches, but the airline that I use, there's something in their system where if you do something with a ticket, I, I think it's if you use a travel credit to book a ticket then all of a sudden you cannot modify that trip online. You have to call. Now, there's no reason for that other than old technology. It's, just, it's <laughs> stupid. It doesn't make yeah. any sense to the customer. But because I have to, because I travel a lot and I'm switching tickets all the time, I'm often using travel credits. And so it's midnight and I need to change a flight. And now it pops up and says, sorry, you can't change this one online. You have to call us. That is a devastating experience, right? That is so yeah. frustrating. And then it happens over and over and over again. We've got to get better at stuff like that. And I think that what is what we're definitely seeing as a trend, and this is only going to continue, is that customers are moving towards the companies that treat them the best. They're even willing to pay more for a better experience. So if you are a company that is not focused on customer experience, you are going to lose business to companies that are focused on it. Yeah, then I, uh, I've, I've, 
I've been for, for years hypnotized about the subject of customer lifetime value, of improving it. I have this, uh, let's say, maturity matrix, you know, like uh, you have from crawl to fly, you know, crawl, walk, run, fly. And uh, in, in my vision, the, the, the most customer-centric uh, companies are not focusing on, uh, let's say, revenue or lag indicators, but are, are looking at predictive measures like lifetime value, like uh, uh, the, the trend of the customer satisfaction or NPS and, and, and so on. Uh, what it's also, in, according to my vision, what it's also important is how many initiatives you as a company are running or experiments are you running every quarter or every every year to improve customer lifetime value so we, we are hearing a lot about the fact that hey you need lifetime value you need to to justify the customer acquisition cost customer acquisition cost is going up you need the customer acquisition cost payback time and so on so we are hearing that but there are few uh, actual optimization ideas or tactics or uh, uh, initiatives. Anyways, I'm going to steal the one with the forcing the leadership team. It, I'm, I'm doing like a, like, a, like a long list of ideas to improve lifetime value, but I'm going to steal this from you to force the leadership team every month to listen for, I don't know, together to do like a group listening uh, session and to hear what their customers had to say or which are the most burning, uh, burning issues. But tell me if you can come up with other uh, ideas not to only, let's say, monitor lifetime value and affect it, let's say, from a general perspective, but actual initiatives of, or experiments that uh, retailers or any other type of companies could uh, could test out. Sure, I'll give you two. The first is I'm a huge believer that every employee is in the customer experience business, no matter what their title and what their uh, you know job description is. And if you, you've probably heard of, of Kaizen, the, the Japanese methodology yeah. for uh, continuous improvement, that's an operations theory. And so it's often think it's often thought of as just being in, in, you know, in production lines or in call centers in more operational areas. But that can be applied everywhere and it can be applied to, to continuously improve the experience. You know, it's not necessarily just about continuously improving the, the production um, or the call time, handle time or whatever, but it can actually also be used to improve the experience. In order to do that, we have to empower every employee to honestly believe the customer experience is their job. Yeah. And so even if you're a person in finance who doesn't talk to, to customers ever, you're making decisions every day that, that affect customers. So if you're not making those decisions through the lens of the customer and understanding the customer impact, you're going to make bad decisions. And my belief is we can always make decisions that are both good for the company and for the customer. Those are not, uh, th those are not separate from each other. They actually work really well together. When you make good decisions for the customer, it generally ends up a good decision for the company. A little bit more tactically, the other thing that I always suggest is no matter what level you are, in the company, become a customer of your own company. Now, what does that mean? If you work for a credit card company, it means apply for the credit card and go through that whole process and see how long it takes until you get the card in your hand and then go bring it to the store and buy something and use the card and then go log on to the website and look at your transactions and then pay your bill and go through every single step 
and see where you get irritated. Because if you're irritated, your customers are irritated. Now, you might not have something as clear cut as a credit card business, but you still can become a customer of certain parts of your business. Um, you can log into your own website and forget your password and go through that process because no company yet has fixed the forgotten password process and made that any good. But you can do some of the things that you ask your customers to do and see how you feel as a consumer. The beauty of customer experience is that it isn't, it doesn't require an advanced degree. We are all consumers in our real lives. And so we know what we like and we know what we don't like. I remember this example at one company that I worked for where I was working, I was in charge of the website. And when we, and I already told you that we wanted people to be able to get log in and log off quickly. Well, when you logged in, a certain percentage of people got a pop-up ad. And I wanted to get rid of the pop-up ad. But the marketing department said, oh, no, you can't do that. I said, why? And they said, because it is our best performing ad. I said, wow, how well is it performing? They said, we get a 6% conversion rate on that ad. And our average is 2%. I said, okay, that's great. Congratulations, 6%. Sounds good. Have you thought about the fact that you are irritating 94% of people by putting this ad up in front of them. Because yeah, 6% click through, but 94% don't, and they roll their eyes at you. And so this is what I mean when we have to, everybody in the company has to, um, has to think like a customer. And then if you're a customer and you log onto a website and you get a pop-up ad, how do you feel? Generally, you don't love it. I've never met anybody that says, yes, I love pop-up ads. So when we become a customer of our own company, we start to see things exactly as customers see them. And it gives it will give you tons of ideas of ways that you can improve. Excellent. I, uh, I love your, uh, your take. And uh, yes, it's always the, the mirror has two faces, right? Talking about old movies with Barbara Streisand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, no, you're totally yeah. right. You know, we... In, in, our, in our businesses, in our offices, we're looking out towards the customer, but the customer is looking in towards us. It's a different viewpoint, right? It, it might be similar. When we look in the mirror, it, it does look like us, right? But then you start to realize like, wait a second, I'm moving this hand and it looks like I'm moving the other hand, right? It, it's a slightly different perspective. And if we never turn ourselves around and see that perspective of the customer, we never fully get it. Yeah. So then you... You've been, we've been focusing on, on, on a lot of aspects. What I want to, what I want to touch because we are, uh, we are towards the end of our uh, uh, episode today. What do you suggest are the first things? So let's say we've just uh, been watched by uh, uh, the CEO of Ryanair, you know, the worst, uh, one of the worst European companies and not customer-centric companies. What do you suggest for companies which are willing to become customer-centric, which are willing to improve customer experience in order to improve lifetime value and get more profitable and a more sustainable business? Where should they start from? Well, I think they definitely should start by buying both of our books. That, that'd, be a, that'd be a great place to start. That's for sure. Uh, maybe bring me in to do a keynote presentation. I think that's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> no, but really, I think that um, honestly, becoming a customer of your own company is a great place to start. That is a really good place because it, it, it just completely changes your perspective of your business. 
And it is so hard for us to get out from, you know, the back of our, to get out of our chair from the back of our desk, right? And and look at it from the opposite perspective. And let me give you one more example on that. And, and I think it goes to show really how easy it is to, to start to figure this stuff out. So I don't know if this is a, if this happens globally, but in the United States, if you go to a dentist office, the dentist almost always has their private office in the back of the building. And the reason for that is that when they come in in the morning, maybe the first appointment is 8 a.m. Maybe they're sauntering in at 7.59. They haven't gotten their coat off yet. They don't want to walk through the, the lobby and, and, have all, and, see, and have all the patients see them walking in at the last minute. So they walk in the back door into their office. Okay, I understand why you do that. But if you never walk in the front door, then you miss the fact that there's fingerprints on the glass. And you miss the fact that the magazine rack hasn't been updated since before COVID. And you miss the fact that you're out of coffee and that you're out of pens at the front desk. Yeah. And that nobody's wiped any dust off of the front desk in a long time. You never see that if you're always walking in the back door. And so, but yet that's what your patients see every day when they walk in. And so it's really about... My mother has this wonderful phrase when I travel because she's a mom. She says, always be aware of your surroundings. You know, pay attention. Look around you to make sure that you're safe. And mm -hmm. I think that's actually really good advice for customer experience. Just pay more attention. Just look more broadly at your business. Follow the steps of your customers. See yep. what they see. And you're going to observe. And then it becomes about, okay, I have this massive list of things I got to start working on them. And, uh, you know, I am a believer that customer experience doesn't have to be a multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational project. Customer experience is just a series of little things. It's an endless series because you're always going to find more improvements. But just get started. Start fixing things. Start finding opportunities to either eliminate pain points or make something better for a customer. Take it from ordinary to extraordinary. And you're going to have to enjoy this journey because the journey's never over. But it is, if you look at it as a series of little things, it becomes so much more approachable. Anybody can do it. You don't have to be the CEO to lead the project or the CTO. You can, you can delegate it to almost anybody in the company. You can empower everyone in the company to look for little ways to eliminate pain points or to improve the experience. And then it becomes something that we can all gather around that actually becomes part of our culture. We have a culture of customer centricity. Every decision we make, we make through the lens of the customer. And that's when this thing really starts to take off. Love it. And uh, I, I want to touch on, uh, on the last subject. Uh, basically, I have this framework about CVO. I don't know if you can see it. So, so mainly, I will try to do it. I don't know if it's going to focus, no, but basically what is written here at uh, page 158 is that there are three pillars of customer value optimization, what you say, what you do, what you sell. So if what you sell is crap, it's clear that customers will never come back. If what you say is not relevant, customers will not come back. And of course, if what you do is not over delivering, the customers will, will never come back. Today we've been... Uh, uh happy and we've been i'm i'm personally grateful for having you in the show uh dan to uh, address the second pillar of customer value optimization which is uh, customer experience 
thanks a lot for being a part of the CVO Life. If people, if uh, they want to get a hold of you, if the companies which are not yet customer centric will want to uh, have you uh, 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 holding a doing a keynote at their offices, where they can find you. Sure. Well, uh, best place to find me is on my website, which is dangingis.com. Uh, my email is pretty easy to remember. If you can remember the website, it's dan at dangingis.com. And that goes right to me. If there's no assistant, it's it, it will go to my inbox. Um, or I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, that's a great place to connect as well if you prefer the, the social area. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. But thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, it's been a really interesting discussion. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, you selling tens of thousands of copies of your book. Well, if you help me after the show, yes, we'll do. Basically, I want to I wanna pick your brain on that. But uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. From the next week onwards, we are going to do uh, small shows of only 30 minutes in order to uh, have experts and influencers helping uh, me out to push this book. And we are going to talk with 15 experts about the 15 chapters of my book. So stick around and we'll see each other next week. Dan, again, it's been a pleasure, man. All the best from Bucharest and goodbye, everyone. Thank you.